Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. It's Thursday, the 23rd of April. My microphone is finally functioning and we've got a short episode for you this morning. Then we are live streaming for a full hour tonight. Um, don't miss that. We have some fun news. All will be revealed later. I hope you've been enjoying Dennis Bonham's One Man's Window. It's available on our Patreon site, which is patreon.com slash we have ways. And um, uh, I hope we, I've noted we on the Patreon. You've been there've been some very very charming comments from uh, members of the independent company saying how much they're enjoying this memoir. I, I'm I'm probably ten chapters ahead of what we've put out. Um, I I kind of don't understand James why this isn't like a classic uh, memoir that people are that people are sent to. That's like an evergreen book that pe- everyone knows that if you went to that if you went to Duxford or the Imperial War Museum there it would be in a new cover. Every ten years, because it, it's a sensational book. Yeah, it really is. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, it was republished a few years ago as Malta Spitfire Pilot, and I was really against yeah. the name. I mean, it's such a shame. One Man's Window is brilliant. I mean, so that, 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 yeah. that's what it is. Um, yeah, it's a brilliant book, you know. And as we were saying, you know, because he's an artist and all the rest of it. I don't know whether he's just more sensitive or, or whatever, but but it's just it's very human. It's very real. You you absolutely. Yeah get to know him you 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 understand his emotions why he would be feeling the way he is yeah. um and he's very modern as well isn't he i mean you know yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He, he he worried about the enemy being killed and and you know what yeah. it's doing to humanity this war and all the rest yeah. of it no uh, it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant um yeah. yes it's sort of decency is the is the thing that shines through and that and, and there's that really a really interesting thing where he, he there's the, the, the Italian bomber that's shot down and the guy bails out and what happens to him? Yeah. And they all go, ha, 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 isn't that funny? He goes, yeah, I suppose it is. You know, I'm, but I am, I, I admit it, I'm part, of a, I'm part of a war machine. I'm part of the RAF. It's so interesting. And, and he's trying to sketch a self-portrait and he doesn't recognise himself because he's festooned with the, the equipment of, me- the paraphernalia of mechanical war, as he puts it. And you think, this guy's, this guy is, he's, he's so, he's being so thoughtful about all of it. And that that's really, really interesting because, because after all, we often you you think of the 1940s as chaps with stiff upper lips just coping, and he's explaining his stiff upper lip, how it works, what he's trying to do, how he's digesting his feelings. It's really it's a it's a, a brilliant, brilliant book. Uh, um, uh, and what we're going to read next, though, that's the that's the problem. It's got to be out of print. What are we going to read next? Well, that's one with Kent out. You know, we talk about him. I mean, that'd be brilliant yeah. to do him. We just we might be able to get permission to do. It. Yeah. Well. Yeah, we can get hold of Ken. That that wouldn't be difficult. No. Um, right now, so we have a question um, from someone calling themselves uh, the FGM. Um, why did Joachim Piper <laughs> decide to retire to France of all places after the war? Well, they, I mean, that's certainly a mystery. I mean, Joachim Piper. If people don't know who he is, we are basically talking archetypical Nazi Panzer bad guy, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, you know, yes, absolutely. When you're thinking of chiselled jawed, good-looking, uh, um, um, fanatical Waffen SS Panzer commander in his Tiger tank, that's who yeah. we're talking about. I mean, yeah. 
he was, by all accounts, a, a very, very good and competent commander. Um, the reason why he's so especially notorious is because his men were responsible for the Malmody massacre. Yeah. It's very interesting because yeah. one of those things, because basically the, the, his, his men shot 84, I think it was, American prisoners because um, they didn't have the time to deal with them uh, and they couldn't yeah. risk them getting out, so they just shot them. Um, so yeah. there was a reason for shooting them in a way that the 80 odd people that the Americans shot at Biscari um, in July 1943, um, there was no reason for shooting them at all. Um, there was no. no even, not even a sort of ruthless pragmatism behind it. It was just kind of, you know, you killed my mates, therefore I'm going to shoot you all. Uh, um, and, and interestingly, um, at the end of the war, inevitably, the Americans wanted Joachim um, Piper's nuts and all the people that were um, responsible for it and went to huge great lengths to put them all into into uh, war, you know, um, on, on trial and all the rest of it. In a way, again, that um, the... Um, um, the Biscari incident wasn't treated with quite the same severity, let's put it that way. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit of sort of double standards going on here, but that's understandable, you know, that, you know what are victories for if you can't kind of, you know. Um, but, but the interesting thing about Piper is, is, so he is sentenced to death and then it is commuted. Um, yeah. And um, he, he's let off and he's finally released on parole um, in um, 1956. So after that, he's then not able to make any contact with any of his former um, colleagues or anything like that. Um, he is completely um, bound by his parole for another couple of years. At the end of a couple of years, yeah. he ends up getting offered a really, really fantastic job by Porsche as company secretary. Yeah. Porsche. Amazing. Shut up. You know, I kid you not. Um, and um, only when it's put to the board, they go, oh, I'm not sure this is good for our image to have a kind of, you know, ex-convicted Nazi yeah. for war crimes as our company secretary. And he was, he was life standard. I mean, he was, he was absolutely like fanatical SS, politically totally. motivated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, completely, not, completely. Like, like, like sort of um, uh, a paradigm, not, not paradigmatic SS Nazi bloke, you know. Yes. Complete embodiment of the thing. Yes, completely. Um, and um, so anyway, then he's offered another job by something like IG Metal or something like that. Uh, and again, yeah. it, it's then kind of, it, he's offered it and then he's not able to take it up because of, yeah. you know, internal kind of yeah. people not wanting war criminals in, 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 in high positions. So he then, he then gets a job working, I think he's a Volkswagen salesman. So he's in the motor, you know, he's a man in the motor trade. And... Yeah. Um, uh, but but he feels really kind of isolated. You know, the new West Germany is not Nazi Germany. He feels feels an outsider. He feels an outcast. All this sort of stuff. And I'll he get thinks, my miniature. I get my tiny violin out for him. And then <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so then he thinks. Well, actually, you know, I'm never going to make a life here. You know, the old Germany's gone. Why don't I just move and start again somewhere completely fresh? I know. I really like France. I'll go there. And it's as simple as that. And that's why he goes to France. So he buys a small plot of land, um, settles there, um, and is doing fine and all okay until his postman changes. And his new postman is a, is a communist, and he recognises right. who he is and tells right. his mates. And they start sending him threatening letters going, you know, we've got your number, we're going to come and do you in. And there's petty theft around his property uh, and all sorts of things. And it sort of escalates, this sort of vigilantism. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. and, it, and it ends up with a kind of uh, a shootout at his house. On, on Bastille Day in 1976. I've just, I've just looked it up. What, uh, and they, they, set fire, they, they, set, they set fire to the house and, and he goes out kind of, he goes out firing. Uh, and I think a couple of the guys got killed as well in the process. And he, and he, was, he was shot and burned to death. And that was the end of it. Wow. Yeah, no, it's quite wow. a story. It's quite a story. But he's um he's very interesting because he's um he's he's part of the foreign military studies um, program yeah. which was put into action at the end of the war by the Americans. Yes. British were doing it yes, as well, so but the American one is so, the, the FMS series. So he occupies that quite strange position. He's one of those. He's actually one of those um, uh, SS tank uh, tank commanders that the Americans kind of like dig because um, yeah. uh, they're looking for answers to how to how to fight Russian right. the Russians yeah. right and so so he. He's, you know, and Vittman's one of these people as well. There's this sort of, there's this, um, I think, fetid Nazi glamour around them that has somehow survived, regardless of the stuff they got up to. And I know you're absolutely right that that um, the, the, the Malmedy has echoes of what happened in Sicily. You're absolutely right. But like you say, what are victories for? And it is, after all, the Second World War is about saying, actually, no, Nazis are, the way the Nazis do things is, thinks is wrong and the way we do things is right i mean you know that's what that's basically what the war's being contested about but but he he had little regard for his men's lives he wasn't i mean yes he was an inspiring and dashing commander but he also you know you, he's a total you bastard with it, i mean he's an absolute, he's an absolute rotten rotten shit and and you know the kind of officer that wouldn't have lasted five minutes in an allied army no because he was reckless with his men's lives didn't care about them was was sort of politically motivated in completely harebrained way yes I mean, and it's, and it's, 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 it's that kind of sort of tactical chutzpah that 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 successive historians have come to admire so greatly particularly in the 70s 80s with. and 90s yeah, yeah, have yeah, fallen yeah. in love with Kind of completely regarding the, the disregarding the fact that Allied armies are infinitely superior for their humanity towards their own men. You yeah. know, I mean, it's yeah. kind of one of my beefs against Patton is 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 the fact that Third Army has greater casualties than any other uh, Allied army in the it, yeah. from, um, in in Northwest Europe because he drives and them so hard, need, and you don't need you to. Don't do that. Ne- and you don't need to do it like that. You no, don't have to. Exactly. Right, yeah. But but the thing right. about about Piper is it is very interesting because you know one can read. Um, he also taught, you know, he learnt in prison how to speak English and was doing translating and stuff. Uh, and, you know, his his articles he wrote for this foreign military studies programme are really interesting because it's about the Battle of the Bulge and it's about all sorts of other stuff. I mean, he wrote, you know, three or four of them. And I've got them and they're, yeah, he's quite interesting. But he was he was also one of those sort of struggle with the truth people, wasn't he? Because he had a nervous breakdown um, in Normandy, didn't he? he was out of the <laughs> no, line, it wasn't Normandy. It was, after, it was after the Battle of the Bulge. He disappears. Right, okay. Yeah, after the Battle of the Bulge, he's in hospital for about a month. And there is this rumour, but, mm. but there's this rumour that that he was absolutely off his tits on Perverton. And oh, that's right. what prompted the breakdown. Because ah. if, you're, if you're going seven days without sleep and taking five Perverton tablets a day, then your body is still knackered. It's just your brain is being told that it isn't. But, it, but you still yeah. are absolutely stuffed. Oh. And so that that's that's why he's in such trouble. But but right. this guy got in touch with me because I'm, I'm I've sort of claimed this somewhere I can't remember where I claimed this and um, and he said I, where did you get that bit of information from about the pervertin? And I said oh I don't know it's just someone told me it was kind of you know and he said he said well I, you know he's he he lives in France very close to where where Joachim Piper 
um, who's called Ian. Um, and, and he lives very close to where Joachim Piper um, lived. And he'd done a lot of research into him. And he said, I have no evidence at all that he ever took this pervertin. And <laughs> it's like, well, okay. Um, and it, so it may or may not be he true. I don't the... know. But he, you know, I mean, he was, he, I mean, he does he say I didn't SS. sleep for seven. Yeah. And he also says he didn't sleep for seven days. So, you know, there's yeah. no other way of doing that unless you're taking lots of pervertin. Well, that's it for today. Um, uh, remember to take your pervertin and set your alarm for 8.30 this <laughs> evening so you can enjoy our pod live stream wide awake. We'll tweet out the link later. See you then. Bye. Cheerio. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, US Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics US, brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.